Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. How honest can you be with your spouse? Is your marriage vulnerable? Is it safe? Is your marriage robust enough to communicate honestly with each other? Are you free from critique and condemnation releasing you to talk transparently with your mate? How much of these things changed since dating, when communication was not as cumbersome, not as constricted or convoluted? Perhaps speaking freely in your marriage has become more challenging as the years go by. And if that is the case, I trust what I have to say will Well, it'll be the beginning of what I hope will be a new day. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas, and welcome to Life Over Coffee. We have thousands of resources at lifeovercoffee.com. You can read, you can watch, and you can listen. And so please take advantage of all of our free resources. Did you know that our ministry is underwritten by those who support it? If you would like to be a supporting member, I would love for you to do so. Also, we have some some premium content uh, for those supporting members. For example, uh, we have a a forum, a private forum, where people come and they they ask questions that are important to them. Those who are doing the work of discipleship, biblical counselors, we get to consult, we get to coach, we get to help those who are helping others, and that is the heart of our ministry. Well, we dialogue with these folks, and those are our supporting members. I would love for you to consider being a supporting member. It will help us to keep our resources free. Now, perhaps you would say, well, I'm not interested in getting on any kind of a forum and and talking. That is fantastic. You don't have to do that. But would you consider supporting our ministry anyway? We do need your support because, again, we make our resources freely. There are 10 people, a part of our team. It takes a lot of work, and we cannot do it without you. And so if you would consider supporting our ministry, I would greatly appreciate it. Now, I've titled this, How Can I Be More Honest with My Spouse? This is something that I, I believe applies to all of us who are married to one degree or another. I know many of the marriages that I interact with are truly rocking along in a God-centered way, and that is fantastic. But, well, we can all use a a tweak, a checkup every now and then, and I trust for you that this will be that checkup. But for many of us, we struggle in our communication, uh, in our marriages, and so I hope that this will help you to maybe get you on the right track and possibly moving in the right direction, and that would be fantastic. If you want to read, watch, or listen to this resource, then you can find it at lifeovercoffee.com. And again, I titled it, How Can I Be More Honest with My Spouse? Now, here's where I want to start. When thinking about all those questions that I just asked you, it would be best to begin by focusing on how we relate to the Lord. Because whatever happens in our relationships on earth, on the horizontal plane, we should not disconnect them from how we relate to our Heavenly Father. For example, in Ephesians 5.1, God calls us to imitate Him. And what better way to do that than in our relationships, imitating Christ in our relationships. And for now, I'm speaking specifically with how we communicate 
with each other. And so imitating God in our relationships and how we communicate. Thus, thinking about relating to others by reflecting on how we think about and relate to God, providing us with a template for interacting with fellow human beings, fellow image bearers. I mean, where would you want your starting point for communication to begin? With you, with your spouse, with the Lord? And so let's start with God, because I suspect that most of you, this is how you relate to the Lord. You're open, you're honest, you're transparent with Him. You freely talk to Him in prayer. This is your relationship with God. This is why you want to start thinking about Him and then imitating Him in your horizontal relationships. Not only do you talk to Him in prayer, but He freely speaks to you through His Word. In Ephesians 2.14, it says this, For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Although your relationship with God is not perfect, and mine is not perfect either, because we are not perfect, but we are maturing in our relationship with him, and that forms the foundation for how we relate to others. And so your Heavenly Father teaches you how to engage others, even if those relationships within your horizontal sphere are complicated. Maybe, if they are complicated, perhaps recalling how your hostile relationship with God before He regenerated you, as you think about that, I do, what I was like for a quarter of a century, 25 years, there was a hostile relationship between God and me. And as I think about how he imposed himself into my life, he came to me, that helps to reset the stage for talking with other people. God is the hostility remover who enables us to enjoy peace with him and with others. We only export what he has freely given to us. And I know many of you, I can hear some of you saying right now, Rick, you're crazy. That's impossible. You don't know my spouse. Well, I agree with you on all three points. I probably am a little bit crazy. I know it is impossible, at least impossible apart from the grace of God, and I do not know your spouse. And so you are correct. But this is what I do know, that I know what a Christian marriage could be like. And I know how we should strive to imitate the life of Christ in our marriage. And so not only did he say in Ephesians 5.1, imitate God as beloved children, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitating Jesus and exporting his life and his values to others, it is what all Christians should be doing. And that mountain may seem insurmountable. It may seem impossible right now. But we want to be careful before we say that our problems are greater than the grace of God. Because once we go there, then we have lost 
all hope, and there is no proper path forward. And so you can do this. Imitate God in your marriage. Now, I just want to draw out two ways that we can imitate Him. He has many communicable attributes, things that He has given or communicated to us. I just want to speak to two of those communicable attributes, not all of them, for this brief time that we have together. And so I want to focus on one, God does not condemn us. That's been communicated to us. We do not have to condemn others. We can imitate God that way. Therefore, we should be striving to live in a non-condemning marriage. The second communicable attribute is that He wants to listen to us. God is an invitational God where He wants to hear us. He appeals to us to pray. Therefore, we should be quick to listen to our spouses. And so we want to start with God by imitating Him, and we'll just draw out two communicable attributes, no more condemnation, and being quick and ready to listen to our spouses. And so let's start with condemnation or (laughs) no condemnation. Uh, Paul said in Romans 8.1, you're so familiar with this, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God never condemns, never mocks, never criticizes, never puts us down when we share our hearts with Him. He is always ready to listen. He is always prepared to help. The Lord knows our frame. He understands our weaknesses. It reminds me of what Peter said in 3.7, live with them in an understanding way. We can imitate this in our relationships. He desires to uplift, to encourage, to speak into our situations with love. Reminds me of what Paul said in 4.29 of Ephesians, that we should seek to edify, to build up one another, encourage each other. And I am sure that you appreciate this non-condemnation characteristic of the Lord. But how does it work in our marriages? For example, have you ever put something out there for your spouse to hear, only quickly to retract it because your moment of transparency collided with unkindness and disinterest? Let me illustrate. Mabel has longed for an open and honest relationship with her husband, Biff. She has ventured into the transparent zone with him through the years only to meet criticism, mocking, condemnation. When she tried to be transparent, she felt his critique most of the time. It would sting, which motivated her to withdraw little by little. The distance between them became greater and greater. Biff was clueless about these communication flaws in their relationship. I mean, from his perspective, everything was okay because they were not fighting. And when they did fight, he typically rebuked her by letting her know where she was wrong. If he messed up, and if he could not wiggle his way out of what he did wrong, he would do a quick flyover to smooth things out, which was his way of justifying his actions. And then he would be off to the next thing. 
Mabel found more community in her ladies' Bible study on Tuesday mornings than with Biff. She felt unheard. She felt misunderstood and immature for mentioning her little annoyances about him. Their marriage problems created pockets of silence in her heart where she insulated herself from Biff's insensitivity. He did not know this when I brought it up during a counseling session. It soon became apparent that he knew little about Mabel's secret life. She was lonely on the inside, a dangerous place for any woman longing for a relationship. And though she did not discern it initially, she began to drift from her relationship with Biff and from the Lord. Facebook, other social media platforms, texting, and the Bible study were her primary communication substitutes. She was aware of the growing bitterness in her heart, but she felt trapped in her marriage. Though she had resigned herself to the, this is the way it will always be, she did not like how things were. She was not only vulnerable to the alluring temptations of Facebook, texting, and her Bible study, but she was unwittingly open to any caring male relationship. Mabel and Biff had drifted from the goal of being open and honest with each other. But it was worse than that. They were heading in opposite directions. After the children leave the house and Biff retires, it will be difficult for them to stay married. Unless Biff finds a hobby. And Mabel continues her Facebook fascination. Being together will be one long silence until death gives Mabel the freedom that she so desires. As you think through any condemnation aspects that might be in your marriage, perhaps these questions will apply and perhaps you can implement them. I trust that your marriage is at the place to where you can talk about these things. If not, I would appeal to you to find a friend, a competent friend who has the courage. They won't rubber stamp you. They won't commiserate, but they will have the courage and compassion to speak uh, into your life if you cannot ask these questions between husband and wife. And even though I was illustrating Mabel's strained relationship with Biff, these questions apply to both genders, male or female. Question one, when your spouse shares their heart with you, is your posture inviting and desirous to learn more? How would you answer that question? And what does your answer reflect or how does it reflect on your marriage? Number two, are you quick to answer or are you ready to listen while asking clarifying questions so that you can understand what your spouse is saying? Number three, how often do you ask your spouse about their secret thoughts? Do you seek to explore them with your spouse? I mean, you want to continue to move into greater and greater transparency. You're not transparent when you first meet in a dating relationship, and you're not completely debt transparent when you get married and even 10 years later. Transparency, vulnerability, honesty within the relationship continues to grow as you build that relational bridge between each other so that you can talk about deeper and heavier things with each other. And so therefore, there can be pockets of silence in the relationship, and you want to grow to where you can talk about those things that were previously secret thoughts.
Do you see your spouse as an inexhaustible discovery to enjoy or as an exhausting human being to endure? Do your spouse's weaknesses get on your nerves? How are you discipling your spouse through those imperfections? And so I'm talking about condemnation, and if you, uh, if you are a critical, condemning person when you interact with your spouse, he or she will start shutting down. The drift will be owned. The space will grow apart. You will not be growing together. And so these questions are essential, and again, if you can't ask them of each other, I would appeal to you to get with a man, a husband, get with another man, a wife, get with another lady and begin to work through these things so that you can so that you can build sculpt a game plan so that you can start that process of moving closer together. I realize that some of you will be so far apart that you will have to have that third party intervention. That's fine. That's just where your starting point is. And if that's where it is, at least get started there. For the rest of you, I hope that you can talk about what I'm sharing here between husband and wife, and that is your starting point so that you can continue to grow together. And so one of the ways that we can imitate God in our relationship, one of the communicable attributes that we have, one of the communicable characteristics of God is that there is no more condemnation. And so you want to make sure that there is no condemnation in your marriage, which really just opens the door to a deeper and mature relationship with each other. Another communicable characteristic is that God listens to us and we can listen to others too. In in Philippians 2, 3, it says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, that your spouse is more significant than you, and this is how Jesus treats us. He is so dialed in on us that he esteems us more than he esteems himself, which we see acted out on Adam's tree. And so this second aspect, of imitating Jesus in our marriages focuses on Christ's lack of self-interest. In fact, I would encourage you to read all of chapter 2 of Philippians as he talks about this other esteeming Christ. One of the statements I like about the gospel is that if it anchors you, I mean, if the gospel truly anchors you, then you have nothing to fear, nothing to defend, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide. Jesus is like that. He is so secure in his relationship with you that he can take your angry responses and other ways that you express disappointment to him. He's so secure with me that way. I think it would be more accurately to say that he's so secure in his father that he can listen to my, he's willing to listen to my nonsense. We are allowed to let him know what we are thinking. Jesus is about us. He dramatically proved this by going to the cross in our place. Now, I am not saying that we should be angry with God, but I do know. I mean, I live in the real, real, real world, and I know that it's possible. And if that were the case, that we were angry with God, our anger would not disorient him. He would listen to us. He would love us in response. That is the kind of love husbands and wives should imitate to each other. 
and should enjoy between each other. Unfortunately, that is not always the case. Sometimes those pockets of silence are real and they are there. It reminds me of John 16, 2, where Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Let me illustrate. Biff is immature and is insecure. If Mabel says anything related to him or their marriage and the need for change, Biff takes it personally and usually sulks in response to her remarks. Mabel does not believe she can be candid with him because of his insecurities. This issue causes her to take a guarded posture around Biff. Rather than speaking openly and honestly about what is going on with them, it's more like talking to a child where she must measure every word, weighing them before she can share them. She is pulling double duty. Not only does she have to care for her soul, but she also has to care for her husband. She has to grow him up before he can contribute to their mutual marital sanctification. She tries not to be self-righteous about it, but it is hard. Biff is a weak, immature, and insecure husband. He does not process things through a scriptural lens. He interprets stuff through his past, personal experiences, and hurts. You see, his dad was a mean and condemning man who had a significant, who was a significant adverse shaping influence on Biff's life. It is important that Mabel understands this long-term shaping influence that became a habituation way before she ever met him. Biff's problems did not start with her, as none of our issues start with our spouses. We bring that baggage into our marriage. Whenever anyone says anything negative to Biff, he becomes defensive and argumentative and feels the need to justify himself or to retaliate. These reactions make Biff a tedious man, which weighs heavy on Mabel's soul. She grows weary of being around him because of his deep fear of man problems. There is ongoing, seemingly unresolvable, inequitableness in their relationship. You could say it's similar to a college student married to an eighth grader. Biff is so different from Christ. He esteems himself more than his wife, which disables him from being Christ to her. And so I'm talking about two communicable characteristics of the Lord. One is no more condemnation. We don't want to be condemning. And two, we want to listen because God listens to us. And so with listening in mind, I have some questions for you. The first one is, are you mature enough to listen to your spouse without feeling threatened by your spouse? Now, if you are not, how do you need to change? And specifically, what is your plan to change? Question number two. Will you filter what your spouse says through the lens of Scripture rather than your personal experience, especially if you had such an adverse, horrific childhood, a relationship like in Biff's case with his dad that he brought into his marriage? He has to learn to filter what his spouse says through the lens of Scripture. Let the Scripture be his interpretive grid. What does it mean to do this? to let Scripture be your interpretive filter rather than your personal experience? Would you spend time wrestling with God and seeking a competent friend to teach you how to do this if you need that teaching? 
Will you embrace and engage your spouse's words from a position of God's strength rather than through your weaknesses? You see, understanding self-reliance versus God-reliance is essential. Biff is relying on himself. He's relying on his past, his past life, his past experience, and that forms the filter through which he listens to his spouse. He needs to learn to trust God, to rely on Him. He needs to know the differences and learn how to rely on God rather than himself. How will you reflect upon that question? How would you apply it to your life? Will you listen to your spouse when they share their hurts? Or are you more concerned with how their words affect you? Now, if this is a problem in your marriage, will you confess this to your spouse and will you begin the process of change? Now, again, if your marriage is not that mature, that will be hard for you to do. Your starting point is going to be a little farther out. Would you get with someone so that you can talk about these things so you can get to the point to where you can confess this to your spouse so that you all can uh, reconcile? Which is more important, to be more right than your spouse or to serve your spouse? Remember the text in Philippians 2, to esteem others as more significant than ourselves. What does your response to that question reveal about your relationship with God? I've titled this, How Can I Be More Honest with My Spouse? I've looked at two communicable characteristics of God. One is there's no more condemnation. We don't want to be condemning, critical, mocking, putting down spouses. Number two, we want to listen well, which means we have to listen through the lens of Scripture and not make it all about us as we esteem our spouses more than ourselves. And so as you think about what I've shared with you and how it applies to your spouse, whether your husband or wife needs to change, I want to share with you three more tips to factor into your thoughts about all the question sets that I have presented to you. And there were several questions that I presented, and I would appeal to you uh, to go get this article from lifeovercoffee.com and then work through these questions. Again, it's titled, How Can I Be More Honest With My Spouse? So here are three tips. Tip number one, you're looking for the presence of these communicable attributes, not the perfection of them. When a couple becomes married, they will not have perfected their communication. I mean, after 20 years of marriage, they will not have perfect communication. I am an example of that as we are well beyond 20 years of marriage. I appeal to these couples not to get hung up or to expect perfection in how their spouse talks. As you think about your marriage, give less consideration to the ideal of a virtue, in this case, the ideal of communication, and give more time cultivating its presence. For example, I am not asking if you have perfected the gift of encouragement, but can you encourage at all? Is there just the inkling presence of encouragement down in there anywhere? Do you have an encouragement gene? as opposed to a condemning gene. If you are more about condemning and critiquing, then the place to begin is to ask the Lord to teach you how to encourage. And so tip number one, you're looking for the presence of these communicable characteristics, not the perfection of them. Tip number two, 
Determine the direction. Are you both pointed in the right direction? Are you seeking daily to remove the outer layer of fig leaves so that you can grow closer together? If you're not heading in the right direction, then I appeal to you to change your course. You must repent. You do not have to go through your marriage problems alone. I mean, they may not change. They may not reach the perfection of what you desire. But you can surround yourself with a loving, caring, and competent community to hold you accountable while experiencing encouragement in the journey. And if that is your starting place where you can experience this with your mate for life, then find that caring community so that you can start moving in the proper direction, hoping and praying that God will soon bring your mate along so that you both directionally are going the right way. And so tip number one, you're, not, you're looking for the presence, not the perfection. Tip number two, you want to be going directionally uh, in the right place. As tip number three, maybe the most important of all, resist self-righteousness. The quickest of all traps is to take on the victim mindset, elevating yourself above your spouse. Typically, the victim will have a sanctified morality that blinds them through their self-righteousness and harsh responses to their spouse. Now, I'm not speaking of physically harmful marriages in what I'm presenting to you. I am actually talking about regular run-of-the-mill marriage problems, not physically harmful ones, for example. If you're in that kind of marriage, then this is not for you. You need to You need to seek uh, outside intervention, a pastor, possibly an attorney, most definitely a competent counselor, uh, because your marriage is in a whole other place. But what I presented here is for run-of-the-mill marriage problems, and one of the temptations is, is that if our spouse is not meeting our expectations, especially when our expectations are biblical, We can elevate ourselves above them, look down on them, and from that self-righteous perch, we can have a sanctified morality that will blind us from our self-righteousness and our harsh responses to our spouses. It's essential that the struggling spouse, the person with an unchanging mate, that they insist that their friends be honest with how they perceive them. The hurting spouse must be open to their friend's courageous and compassionate correctives, or they will fall into the victim trap, sanitizing their anger responses and complicating the already struggling marriage. And so those are three tips. First, you're looking for the presence of these things, not the perfection. Second, you want to make sure you're going directionally in the right place, even if it's just you alone in the beginning. And then number three, guard against self-righteousness, which comes with the victim mindset. Now, finally, I mentioned two ways that we can imitate the Lord in our marriages, no condemnation and listening well. What other communicable attributes of God can you imitate in your marriage to make it more Christ-like? Will you discuss these things with your spouse? And will you make these talks part of your times of reflection as you go on a date, for example? And that you continue to reflect on these things together until they become Christocentric habituations. 
And again, if you're unable to have these talks with your spouse, will you find that competent, courageous, and compassionate friend to walk with you for this season, hoping that the goal ultimately will be that you will be able to walk with your spouse and you can install these Christocentric habituations in your marriage. If you want to read this, please go to lifeovercoffee.com. How can I be more honest with my spouse? If you want to learn how to do soul care in a more competent way, then I would encourage you to check out our Mastermind program. It is an all-online, self-paced course. It's not just a study course. It is an intrusive course that gets into your life, and it helps to coach you up to be a competent disciple-maker up to your capacity of whatever your capacity may be. And so if you want to learn about our mastermind program, go to lifeovercoffee.com. If you have access to the internet, then you can take this course. It is all online. You don't have to travel anywhere. It is self-paced. Typically, it takes two to three years, and you will be satisfied if you commit yourself to the process. And so if this is a good season for you, then I appeal to you to look at the informational resource that we have that will walk you through what the Mastermind course is all about. And if this is the right season and you believe this is something that God wants you to do, then you can start the Mastermind program today, and that would be fantastic. Our trainers are ready to talk to you, and so if you start, we'll be right there, and we'll start working you through the process. And I think you'll be amazed in two or three years at what God will do to you, how he will grow you up in your skill set, how you will be maximizing your capacity or whatever that may be, and you'll become an effective disciple maker within your sphere of influence. So please check out the Mastermind program. Program. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.